Contract Properties is a homegrown, family-owned maintenance company located in Nashville. They provide HVAC, electrical, plumbing, painting, and many other services for commercial and residential properties. From build-outs to junk removal, one call does it all. Whether you're a homeowner or a property manager, give Contract Properties a call today for a free estimate. 615-356-0755. That's 615-356-0755. Or visit ContractProperties.net. This is a Midday 180. Delivered by Edley's Barbecue. With Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. On 104.5 The Zone. The second hour is here. Just like that. Midday 180. Delivered by Edley's Barbecue. Edley's will deliver to you in an hour. Not, well, not, it doesn't take them an hour. I'm saying they're open in an hour. Can we order Edley's today? Edley'sBBQ.com. Sure. Did you just have Edley's yesterday? Yes. I'm ready for it again. Well, we can we can have Poncho and Lefty's today if we want. There you go. I like that. Ooh, Change it that up. sounds good. A little Poncho? Give me that uh, taco trio. The, the sampler yeah. platter of tacos that I like. The one with the eggs. They're all good. I like that uh, pork belly. You do like that pork belly. Big fan. I kind of fear the pork belly. Don't fear it. It's bacon. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It's just a form of bacon. That's all it fear, is. I fear you it. fear the, the the idea of belly? Is that yeah. what? Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I hear you that. You ever had I a think, hot dog? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's not called belly. Yeah, the hot dog's over here. Yeah, we, Like, the hot dog is a long-established <laughs> animal. The, I mean, hot it, dog it is, is belly, but it's not called belly. <laughs> right. Listen, the hot dog is a long-established thing we set over here, and we've made exceptions as a society oh yeah we don't really discuss it we know we know but we don't <laughs> talk about it. you'll know we don't talk about it. we put mustard and relish on it a good one tastes delicious and 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 there's no discussion of what's going on inside of that casing paul you like brisket right what, if, bri- what brisket. if brisket was called what it is which is neck fat i don't th- why would we do that that's what brisket is. Why would we it do that? I'm, not, I'm taking off. I'm not la, 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 la. That's brisket. I don't want to hear it. And you know, your discussion of brisket. Feed me neck. Our frequent discussion <laughs> of brisket neck. leads me to uh, desire. I, if anybody knows where I could get nice corned beef, not like a slice of corned mm. beef for a sandwich, but like a meal of corned beef, like there's an a, entree of corned there's beef. There's a deli in West Nashville, and I can't think of the name of it. That's a, like a Jersey-style yes. deli. With sand, and there's one in East Nashville, too, that's really good. Well, I that. ain't going East. <laughs> there's one, Go West, then. I don't, have the West I don't have the clothes to go East. <laughs> we talked about getting a new wardrobe. I don't want that wardrobe. <laughs> you don't He's go not that, dressed for East. I don't, have, don't, a, go I don't have the appropriate the hat. <laughs> um, but I, I, I would go West. To go to that deli, but I don't want sliced corned beef like for a sandwich, though I enjoy that, and I've, I can get that occasionally. I want, like, corned beef like an entree, corned beef and potatoes. I, w- I want that meal. That's what I'm craving right now. Where can I go get that? I don't know. So, my question. Or what delivers that? The better yeah. question today. My question. I'm, I'm starving now after this conversation. <laughs> I, I don't, we do can, it to ourselves every day. You can also call it neck fat, and I still want it. I want to eat it right now. But let's not call it neck fat. There's a reason it's that brisket. these things have names. Yeah, but, pleasant names. <laughs> then just put whatever pleasant name you want on pork belly. Bacon. There you go. And now you can eat it. So, Duke or Vanderbilt? Both jobs are open, let's say. Let's say David Cutcliffe retires. 
Which is the better Let job? Let me go first. Duke is the better job. Because, Paul needed no time to answer yeah, this question. Duke is the better job because there has been success at Duke. It is in a lesser conference where you could break through more often and more easily. And I don't know much about Duke's facilities, but I feel pretty comfortable presuming they're better than Vanderbilt's because I know Vanderbilt's facility. They have a good indoor facility for football. Duke is a better job. I was going to say Duke based on the facilities and the setup uh, conference-wise. There's a lower bar at Vandy, but I wouldn't be judging the job on that. Like Chad, you were saying – you. You don't want the coach that wants the Vandy job because six wins is a good year. You get extensions on six wins. Like, I wouldn't be choosing. I would choose Duke for the opposite. Like, I also think the goal that, would be compete at the top of the ACC. Well, they've been, you know, they've been to the championship game, right? They, they've no, proven right. they can do that. Vanderbilt's n- never proven in their history they could do something like that, and uh, they're nowhere close to that right now. Do you think it's a closer it's, decision? It's, no, here's close. the one other thing that it's I didn't close. say. It's about it's about what you value. I think is ultimately you could, I could argue either way based on what the coach is looking for. I think you can win more at Duke. There's no doubt about it. Uh, so it's about what what do you want? Now, Paul, you and I got into this discussion during the break. I do think at times we overrate Nashville. Nashville's overrated in this instance. Yes, most of these coaches have you know young families. That we're looking at. It's not like they're going to be going out. They're not 25 and going out all the time in Nashville, and you've got this great cosmopolitan city with a nightlife and everything. Like that's a big draw for the coach, right? Durham, North Carolina, or living in Chapel Hill or wherever they're going to live. If they're the coach at Duke, that's a great college. If you're area a coach, to live in. if you're a professor, if you're an administrator of a college, mm-hmm. you live a campus life, and if you live a campus life. If you're going to a good university, Vanderbilt, Duke, wherever, and you live that campus life, Duke is a great place to be. Yeah. Not that Nashville is so a is great So is Vanderbilt. City. And so, on. yes, Nashville's a nice bonus. But there are uh, all good universities have great things coming to them. Comedians, concerts, plays, all of that stuff comes to good universities. There's a vibrant life. On any campus like Duke's. Well, and if someone were to say, well, do you want to live in Nashville or Auburn, Alabama, for instance? Now, that, Auburn, Alabama's out. But that's, no, it's not. It's not nearly Duke. Oh, come on. It's not. Paul, I'm trying to make your point for you here. It's a great campus. It's, it's the same thing. I've been there. I'm it's, saying it's from really a coaching perspective, it's the same thing. These guys aren't worried about that as much as, can I get players to yeah. come to that place? Well, I get what you're saying. You can raise a family in Auburn and be fine. My uncle was a professor there for years. He's got a great house, loves it in Auburn, Alabama. I get what you're saying, but I also rate these campuses by degrees of the campus life. And Duke is far nicer than Auburn. You rate it by elite Northeastern private school staff. Well, Duke is not in the Northeast. Yeah, Duke is populated by everyone from the Northeast. Well, I'm sorry if the smarter people are coming from the Northeast. That's not my fault. But again, that's what you rate it by. Oxford, Mississippi. When I say that, what do you think? I think pretty girls on the girl. It's a great college town. It's got a great, great downtown college square. town, not great college. I want both. It's a great campus. I think, it, again, now you're overrating something for a coach that they're not looking at as much. Yeah. This, yeah, no, this is where you're buying You're, right, you're right. But Auburn is nowhere near. I haven't been to Ole Miss, but I understand Ole Miss is beautiful. 
Oxford, Auburn, yeah. I don't I don't understand affection for Auburn. Uh, Auburn, when I was there, I did not strike me as pretty at all. I don't either. I'm buildings just, in a field. I, I, I don't like it. I don't like it either. <laughs> I just, I think that we sometimes make the mistake of thinking what resonates with someone who's young and out a lot resonates with a 44-year-old married father of two that's a head coach that's in the facility most of the time anyway. Right, but you're providing for his family, and I want that, that campusy uh, feel. Auburn doesn't have it. Duke has it. Vandy has it once you're inside those, those streets, those gates. Um, you know, I think Vanderbilt's a little kind of haphazard feels to me as a campus. There are parts of it that are great, but it's also a little not contained, if you will. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? We should take 180 out and just tour these campuses. We'll have a, full, campus we'll have a, a comprehensive, Let us in. comprehensive ranking of these campuses <laughs> at some point. Let us in. <laughs> well, they'll be kicking us out. Of let, us in, let us in the engineering building. Let us on. on let us campus. on campus. Let us on. Let us on. I like that. Let us in morphs into let us on. Coming Narrated up, by Rhett Bryan. Greg, yes, that's right. Greg Cosell joins us next. What happened against Cleveland? What was Cleveland doing offensively that was a step ahead of, of everything the Titans were trying to do on defense? And we'll discuss the matchup with Jacksonville. Greg Cosell next, midday 180, delivered by Edley's Barbecue on 104.5 The Zone. Midday 180 delivered by Edley's Barbecue. Always great to be joined by Greg Cosell of NFL Films. Time to talk some Titans football, NFL discussion as well. And Greg's presented by Turner Security. When you turn to Turner Security, you can leave your security issues at the door. TurnerSecurity.us for more information. Greg, another week. Uh, in the NFL and, and more questions about this Titans team after the result that we saw against the Cleveland Browns. How you doing? I'm doing great, Jonathan. How are you? Doing doing very well. Um, where where did you start in your film evaluation? Was it more about the Browns being a step ahead of what the Titans were doing defensively? Or were the Titans not keeping up because they didn't have the personnel to do so? Well, I started by looking at the Browns' offense versus the Titans' defense because ultimately that was the story of the first half. Now, you know, two turnovers certainly do not help, and we know that the Titans are not necessarily built philosophically to play come-from-behind football. Right. Uh, and when when you see a half like that where the opposing quarterback throws for 290, to me you've got to look at individual plays because there are a number of big plays. And then I try to find out why those big plays happened because – the Really, in the NFL, what most offenses are trying to do, and, and philosophically there's different approaches, but what most offenses are trying to do is create explosive plays, and what most defenses do not want to give up are explosive plays. So uh, there were too many of those in the first half, and we know there's a couple of things when you get right down to it that are always problematic for the Titans defense and that any given week could become a factor in the game. Number one, they can't rush the quarterback. And number two, they've got some concerns with coverage in the secondary. And those two things are obviously both the paramount things in pass defense. And for the Titans, in any given week, those two things can become a problem. 
Do you find it interesting that Cleveland came out throwing as much as they did with the given the offense and, and given the structure of how they're built offensively? Uh, yes and no, because I think we know how they're built philosophically, but we also know when they looked at the Titans' defense, I'm sure their coaches in, in film study, when they started uh, looking at the Titans' D, said, you know, wait a second, the, the tape is telling us two things. They can't really rush the quarterback, and they've got some concerns in the secondary, and, and we feel that we can attack those concerns. And how do you do that? You do it through the use of personnel and formation. That's what, what coaches look at. They don't just say, hey, let's just toss the ball over the yard. They, they say, how can we uh, attack those, those flaws and weaknesses? And, you know, to me, the People 75, People's Jones 75-yard touchdown, which, of course, came right after the Davis touchdown, the first play, when it, that made it 17-7, and I'm, I'm sure some Titans fans probably at that time felt, hey, we're right back in this game. You know, it's, it's relatively early second quarter. But that Peoples-Jones 75-yard touchdown was a very, very clear example of how you use personnel and formation to dictate a matchup, and then you exploit that matchup. Uh, the Browns did such a good job exploiting the Titans' weaknesses. David Long's inability to, to get free on, on some of those screen passes, borders that you're, you're mentioning, um, the pass rush, and I know not everybody's got Cleveland's line, but but it's been no secret all season long that the Titans can't get to the quarterback. Does this offer more evidence for upcoming opponents here, Greg, on, on how they should attack, or is all of this no secret and Cleveland just happened to do uh, plan well, execute well, and maybe have uh, well-suited personnel to go after them? PK, I don't think it's a secret. People who watch tape know this. Uh, I mean, I, I, look, I, I certainly can't study the way that coaches who are playing the Titans can study. You know, they have staffs of 20 who are doing this. I'm just one guy trying to do the best I can. And I've been telling you for weeks about these issues with the Titans defense. I'm sure Coach Mack can echo the exact same thing. So this was not news. You know, Cleveland just executed. Uh, let's put it this way. Cleveland stepped out of their basic philosophy to attack the weaknesses in the Titans' pass defense. So that tells you what they saw on tape. You know, and it's funny, you mentioned uh, David Long. I, I assume you're referring to that Chubb 26-yard screen reception on, uh, on the second possession of the game. Yeah, where he ran into an offensive lineman. Right. Uh, yeah, there was but another see, that's one, that's a too. perfect example, again, of formation and personnel and formation setting that up because that was a play where they were they had a closed formation to the boundary side of the field that was in a sense the strength of the offensive formation and they had a screen concept back to the field and there was and long was man to man on Chubb and he was the only defender there because of the personnel in the formation so he did, there was nothing he could do uh, he was the only defender there, and there were two offensive linemen that got out in front. So that wasn't Long doing a bad job. That was Long just being beaten by the design and structure of the play. And uh, speaking of design and structure of plays, I've never seen a team more fooled on play action than the Titans were many times in this game with Baker Mayfield. Is he a quarterback you watch that's great with play fakes? And where is this Baker Mayfield more of the time. He was great on Sunday. He shows flashes of this at times. What did you make of his play, and, and what led to this against the Titans? Well, 
You mentioned the play action. When you play the Browns, you're very conscious, particularly when they line up in base personnel, which they do. I mentioned the Peoples-Jones 75-yard touchdown. That They had three tight ends on the field. Um, so when you play the Browns, based on your film study and then their use of personnel and formation, you're anticipating the running game. So when they play fake, you're, you're reading your run keys. It's all based on that, and, and that's how you react. But getting back to Baker Mayfield, he has games like this. This game, he was incredibly decisive. He played within the timing and structure of the offense he, and his ball location, which can be erratic, but was a strength of his coming out of college. His ball location, Chad, in this game was really, really good. Um, but it was such a well-schemed passing game against the Titans' defense that the reads were pretty easily defined, and therefore the throws were defined. And, and he, But you still got to make them, and he made them. Greg Cosell with us, presented by Turner Security. We've been talking a lot here about Corey Davis, but in this game and throughout the season, it sure seems like Arthur Smith is just really good at calling stuff, designing stuff, and and looking to it at the right times that gets both Corey Davis and A.J. Brown the ball on the things that they do best. Yep. At the right times. How good is Arthur Smith at this? Yeah, well, there, Corey Davis, we talked about this, I think, even in the, in the summertime, that Corey Davis, to me, is at his best running crossers uh, because he's a, he's a big, lanky wide receiver. He's not a burner, but he's got good speed and good build-up speed. So what you want to try to do is get him the ball on the move, and they do that exceptionally well. They run a ton of crossers. Um, they run the post-cross combination where he runs the crosser and Brown runs the post. Um, that, to me, is what Corey Davis is really good at, getting him the ball on the move. And uh, in this game, obviously, first of all, he's not going to get this many targets every week. They had to throw the ball more than they want to. Um, but his numbers now have, have been jacked up pretty good where it looks like he could get 1,000 yards this season. Um, but, no, they, they obviously had to throw the ball more than they wanted to in this game. I actually think Tannehill threw it well. I don't think there was anything wrong with their offense, in, given the nature of the way the game played out. It's not the way they want to play offense. Henry only had 15 carries. And I'm assuming, because Humphreys just went on IR, correct? Yeah, more concussion problems. Yeah, and because even in the third quarter and through much of the fourth quarter, being behind and having to throw it, they were still playing with two tight ends on the field a lot. So that told me that something was up with Humphreys. So I guess they don't have a ton of confidence in Batson. They don't feel like they have a third wide receiver that they feel feel really good about right now. Though he did make two big catches. So in general, we talk so much about the, the, the need for coaches to use guys towards their strengths, stay away from their weaknesses. Arthur Smith clearly understands Yep. A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. Well, for sure. I mean, I agree 100%. I mean, we know we know what they try to do with Brown very often. They try to get him the ball on those those bang play-action in-breakers where he can use his strong run-after-catch ability. Um, I thought the 40-yarder, on um, which I think was on their first TD drive, I think it was immediately followed by the Davis yeah. touchdown. Um, I thought that was a really good play call understanding that the Browns love to play cover four. It's one of their foundational coverage concepts. And I thought they did a really nice job with um, uh, the combination of Davis working vertically from the slot and then Brown running the post outside of that. So Davis eats up the, the safety to that side, and then Brown runs the post 
versus a corner that's playing outside because it's his own concept. Greg, when the team trails by 31 at halftime, we know they're going to be throwing it a lot in the final two quarters. Um, how did you think the Titans' offensive line held up against Cleveland's pass rush and Miles Garrett? For the most part, pretty well. Uh, I thought that's one thing that stood out watching the tape. You know, obviously you've got to throw it a lot. Um, and, you know, Garrett had that one sack, I, I guess it was in the fourth quarter. On That was the sack that really ended the game because that final drive of 15 plays, they were not going to win the game at that point. Um, but, yeah, that sack was on the drive right before that that ended it, and he did beat Quisenberry. Um, but I think for the most part they held up pretty well. What do you make of Jacksonville? Um, one win, but you know, whenever I, whenever I'm looking at the final scores, I'm, I'm seeing who has possession late in the game. Jacksonville's in games. Yeah. They're competitive. Um, you know, I think that offensively, uh, you know, they're playing Glennon now. This, I assume he's going to go again. This yeah, will be his third start. He's been announced as the starter. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, he's he's a professional quarterback. I mean, I don't think he played particularly well this week. I watched that tape. Um, and even when he's playing well, I think that there's a mechanical element to his game. I think he can function effectively in clean pockets. You need to make him feel pressure, get bodies around him, force him to speed up his decision-making and his mechanics. But that becomes an issue versus the Titans, who've not been able to generate any kind of meaningful pass rush. Um I don't think Lennon was very good mentally in this past game against the Vikings, and that surprised me because the Vikings are not necessarily that difficult tactically. So I would expect that the Titans will probably do a lot of disguise and late movement to get him a little slow in his decision-making, and hopefully then they can get some bodies around him. Um, but uh, James Robinson has been really, really good for them. I mean, he's, he's a volume back for them, uh, and, and he's going to get the ball. He's, he's very workmanlike. Uh, he's not shifty or elusive or explosive, but he's decisive, he's competitive, he has natural power, he finishes. He's become kind of a volume-sustaining runner in their offense. And then you know, they have very capable wideouts. Uh, yep. Chark with a, a good quarterback would be really intriguing to watch, right? Yes, and the guy who I liked coming out, okay, and he's now getting the last two games he's getting a lot of snaps is Colin Johnson. And I think he's he's a big kid. Uh, he's smooth. He's fluid. He's got good overall athleticism. He's deceptively quick. He can work the boundary with his size, competitiveness, and hands. The last two weeks, he's played a lot of snaps, and I think you'll continue to see him get snaps. He's a tough cover, in my view. How are they using Lavishka Chenault? Is it is it like he was used in college? A little bit. Um, they use him on jet sweeps. We've seen him offset in the backfield. Um, he'll run routes just as a regular wide receiver. So he is used. You want to get him the ball where he has room, and that's why the jet sweeps. That's why using him. Look, they, they did a toss sweep to him when he was offset in the backfield. You want to get him the ball where he can generate velocity and power because he's about a 225-pound guy with a lot of power who can run. So you'll see him used in that way. So socks per play, we're seeing the, the second-worst team in the league statistically is, is Cincinnati. Is Cincinnati as bad rushing the passer as the Titans? Is that close? Are the Titans clearly the worst pass rush team in the league? Uh, you know, it's hard for me to make a list like that, PK. But I mean, I can just general tell you sense. The Titans can't rush the quarterback, so they're they're not good at it. I mean, you either you can know. or you can't. There is no list, right, Greg? Right. 
They they can't. They they don't rush the quarterback. They don't. And 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 again, it's not. Even though they're very low in sacks, I think they only have 14 for the season. It's not the sack number per se. It's they don't speed up the quarterback. Yeah. I remember having a really good conversation years ago with Dick LeBeau about pass rush pressure, and he's the one who really brought that to my attention because fans always look at sack numbers. And LeBeau said to me, he said, it's not about the sacks, it's about speeding up the quarterback. And the Titans don't speed up the quarterback. You know who can rush the passer? The New York Jets. How about that final play? Oh, stop <laughs> it. Come on. Come on now. That, that's, that's a layup. Come on. They were, hey, they were speeding up car. They did speed up. <laughs> he sped that ball right down the he field. He ran right up into the pocket. He sped him up. Uh, hey, the play before, though, he overthrew Aguilar, who was wide open. Yeah, That was the second most important play of the game. That's right. <laughs> hey, what what are you featuring this week on the matchup show, Greg? Um, the matchup show, the, the our big game this week, the, the B-block section will be Pittsburgh and Buffalo. Because I thought Josh mm-hmm. Allen, and I've watched every I think I've watched every snap of Josh Allen since his last year in Wyoming. Um, I thought he played, hands down, his best game as a pro on Monday night. And he is really playing well right now. So we're going to feature that game. Um, And Pittsburgh is an odd team. Again, we've talked about this with other teams. I, I personally don't believe you can throw the ball 50 times by choice in the NFL. I I just, again, that gets into that whole debate about the run game and its value, but I don't believe you can drop back over 50 times a game by choice. Greg Cosell of NFL Films joins us weekly. You can follow him on Twitter, at Greg Cosell. Check out the NFL Matchup Show as well, DVR that. That's what we do each week. It's a fantastic breakdown uh, visually uh, with what Greg talks about here. He does that for the entire league every Saturday and Sunday on ESPN and ESPN2. Greg, thank you as always, and we will catch up soon. All right, guys, appreciate it. Thanks so much. Greg Cosell, presented by Turner Security. 615-737-1045, remember? Chad, we're an hour away from our visit with Jeff Monken. It is Army-Navy week. It is indeed, and uh, it's uh, it's at Army's campus. Usually a game that's on a neutral site. This year, Army hosting the game, so looking forward to talking with Jeff Monken who does a lot of recruiting in the state of Tennessee. Casey, hang with us. You'll be up first on the phone. So we'll, we'll hit a variety of topics. We'll continue to talk Titans football. Midday 180 delivered by Edley's Barbecue, 104.5 The Zone. Day 180, delivered by Edley's Barbecue. Withrow is he's drumming to this beat. Air drums. Big on the air drum. Casey in Nashville hey, next say, up on the show. Man hey, or woman? Casey. Man or woman? I think man. <laughs> Guess the sex of this two-sex name. Really? <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> Very much a man. Man. Hey, how y'all doing this morning? We are great. That's a good deal. Look, I was really wanting to address, you know, they're talking about the Titans not really having any pass rush. You know, I'm not a coach or anything, but I'm a huge fan, and I watch the game every week. And there's a reason that this defensive back borders has been on five or six different teams, okay? (laughs) If you can't get no coverage down the field, you're not giving your 
line any kind of time to get any pressure on anybody. I mean, if you got receivers just running wide open, you're not going to get a pass rush at all. That's an interesting defense of the pass rush. It really, look, Borders isn't particularly good, but this works the other way around. They're not getting a pass rush, which is letting the corner, leaving the corners hang. Most of the time, the problem starts with the lack of the pass rush. I'm not saying Borders is good, but, I mean, he, he played some, some good games. He brought a feistiness that they, they lacked at corner. Sadly, he was an upgrade uh, based on the right. lack of talent there. But you want to look at the lack of talent on this team. You start at outside linebacker. That's where you start, unquestionably. And, and uh, yes, it works both ways. You can't cover forever, so the pass rush has to get there. Uh, it, but, starts and, up, and, and it starts up front. It Let's, starts up front. The timing thing starts. It starts you the line have of to, and uh, go back. As Cosell said, you have to speed up the quarterback, and you can't ask guys to cover forever. You don't. You rarely talk about the corners buying time for the rush to get there. That's an odd inside-out way of looking at it. I mean, look at Pittsburgh. That now, we're this is the yin and yang. Like yeah. it's the exact opposite, opposite. but. It's not like Pittsburgh has a great secondary. They're getting four sacks a game. <laughs> they average 3.7 sacks per game. And Pittsburgh has lost key people. I mean, they have a good secondary, but they have an exceptional pass rush. Well, neither side is helping the other one, to the caller's point. Yes. The coverage isn't helping the pass rush either, but the pass rush is non-existent. Regardless of the circumstances with the coverage. And at times. least in the secondary, you can look wishfully towards the return of Christian Fulton and towards the return of a Jackson. Even if not this year, you can say uh, on this roster, there are some cornerbacks who can play on this roster. There are not any outside linebackers who give you hope. Ultimately, the number one off season project is yet again, find pass rushers. And I would say this time, don't spend whatever the number is, 23, 24, 25 million on guys who collectively get you zero. Or sides. don't spend a first round draft pick on an offensive tackle. Yeah, but see, that's the, that's the, they're in a no win situation with that. Don't spend the 25 million. If they didn't do it this year, we'd be critical of them not going out and signing Jadavian Clowney and Vic Beasley. Not Beasley. Uh, Clowney. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I didn't have a problem with them taking But there, there's no one else available other than Beasley. No one. If you look at the free agent market, yeah, the free agent they were either market tagged or they re-signed is, or is blank. Now, went this, in the draft. this year we'll see what they yeah, do because yes. Matthew Judon is probably Bud out Dupree. there. Bud Dupree coming off an ACL is, is going to be out there. And they're probably going to be some people caught. Now, how do you because prioritize? Cap, yeah. How do you prioritize? Because this team far too long has acted like it can get by, and it it it's become painfully clear it cannot get by. We go to no. It I mean it did like you're saying it it tried. Yeah. That the it failed. Yes. We go to Philip. Hey, Philip. How you doing, John? I'm going to step back, go back to college, and uh, not a big Vandy fan. I do support them living close, but being an Irish fan, I understand where the Vandy fans come from and as the college when you got to recruit because you're looking at a bunch of, what, pre-med, pre-law kids that you're trying to get in. Uh, as far as searching for a coach, 
you know, when Franklin was here, it was, to me, a stepping stone for Franklin. He was looking as far as getting in somewhere else better. Well, gave and him that's what, why I'm looking at something like my, the guy that you got coming up in an hour, 45 minutes. Not that I don't, I'm kind of hesitated to say, don't take Clark Lee away from my team. But Monk, and he brings in two or three things that are going to, you know, be attractive to recruits coming in because, as you guys said, if I've listened to you guys say all the time, there's not the only allure that Vandy has is playing in the SEC. That's really all the allure they have. And, you know, somebody like Monken, who's 53 years old, that's something else I think Candace Lee has to look at because if you bring in somebody, say, like Will Healy from – UNC or, or Charlotte and or Clark Lee, you're looking at 30, 35, 36, mid-30 guys that this is just going to be a stepping stone for, what, four or five years? If they do fairly decent in the SEC, are they going to start looking in three or four years? Well, four or five years. Right back to where they are again. Four or five years is, is a good term at Vanderbilt. If you have a good four or five years that sets a guy up to yeah. go, take him. At the Tennessean, when I got the job, there was an editor who's still there who said, don't hire him. Because he wants to go on to bigger and better things. Unfortunately, smarter editors said, hey, that'd be great if we had this guy for a while and he goes on to bigger and better things. We'll be able to say he was part of our paper for and for while. And while he was here, he was all in. Yes. Yeah. You cannot and, disagree with it. James Franklin, the three years he was here, was all in. And you're saying the only allure of Vanderbilt that it's in the SEC. If you come to Vanderbilt and you play here, and you have a nice career here, and you go on to whatever else, you've got the best degree available in the SEC. That's more than uh, just having been in the SEC. There's more Lord of Vanderbilt than you think. That call got off on the wrong start when he said that Vandy and Notre Dame are looking at a bunch of pre-med and pre-law students to get in, and that's the players they have. Go look on the majors for both Notre Dame and Vandy and tell me how many pre-law and pre-med students they have playing on those football teams i mean give me a break it's, it's different with athletes at notre dame and vandy just like it's different with athletes at stanford and northwestern and other places too uh, that is not the case in terms of, of who they have to recruit and um hire the best coach if the guy yes. is 53 i would hire jeff munkin and we're gonna have him on later that would be number one on my list but it's not because he's 53 and not going to leave and that's his final destination I'd hire Jeff Munkin because I think he'll win bigger than anyone else they're going to hire at Vanderbilt because of his system and because of where he's been recruiting before at Army and then what he could do at Vanderbilt with better athletes. And it would frustrate the rest of the SEC. But if it's Will Healy, you don't hire Will Healy thinking, boy, it's young whippersnapper coach. If he does well, he's out of here in three years or four years. Vandy, Vandy people are so hung up on James Franklin leaving them for Penn State. If Penn State comes after this next coach, then you made a good hire. Look at it that way. And if that's the case... Think about where the program will be. They've probably elevated the program where if you don't swing and miss like you did with Derek Mason, with the next hire goes out and loses by 30 to Temple. Two of our three last coaches turn this into something huge. Come be the next guy. Yes. And there's a program or two that have done that. Where are we thinking of? But what if Derek Mason didn't fall flat on his face right out of the gates? I mean, James Franklin, if he hands Derek Mason the program in a better spot with the success they had had, mm-hmm. and I know things were going down a bit, and they were going to lose a bunch of guys that year, but if they don't go out and lose by 30 in game one to Temple and then have that awful first season, if you hire a competent coach that comes in and can just sustain, 
then you're in a better spot even if you hire a guy who leaves you after three or four years. But it also doesn't have to be a stepping stone job if Vanderbilt pays if, up and, and it, puts if and they invests. treat Exactly. If they treat it like. I don't the, think it's a stepping stone job for Clark Lee or Will Healy or Jamie Chadwell if they go that route. If you build them I, a stadium. I don't, I don't if you see build it them that a stadium. way. Now, or if they're if they if a coach does well at Vandy, well, guess what? The big boys in college football will eventually come calling. But it's up to Vandy to build the stadium, to invest, to show something mm-hmm. that they didn't show James Franklin to give them something to think about. James Franklin didn't have anything to think about. You would take that job a million times out of a million with the lack of investment at Vanderbilt at the time. There was no decision to be made. You go to Penn State if you're James Franklin. If you are a Vandy grad, you leave Vandy for Penn State if they offer. Because Vandy was not willing to invest. Are they willing to invest now? That is the question. And that's the question I want answered if I'm one of the coaches interviewing for this job. Coming up, we'll talk with our coach, Coach Doug Matthews. Time to talk Tennessee football, SEC football. We'll get a preview of the SEC championship game that we now know will be Florida against Alabama. We'll get uh, Doug's early take on that. Uh, Plus, we'll get him to weigh in on the Vanderbilt hire. What makes sense for Vanderbilt University and the football program? Doug Matthews next on the Midday 180, delivered by Edley's Barbecue, 104.5 The Zone.